Hi there. Welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Monday morning, March 8th, 2021. He is Tristan Happy Cockroft, winner of all fantasy baseball leagues, football leagues, you name it. He doesn't even play fantasy hockey, but he's probably winning that league too. Kyle Soppy produces and researches our fine show, and I'm merely Eric Carabell. They needed somebody to host, and I had nothing else going on. On today's show, the latest injuries and thoughts from spring training from Tristan and I. Also, we both competed in the labor auctions. That's League of Alternative Baseball Reality from USA Today. That was this weekend. We shall discuss Tristan's winning team and my ninth place team. And later on, trivia and hash browns. Tristan, I hope you had a nice weekend. You look a little bit tired. I wonder why you're a little bit tired. Why could that be, Tristan? I got to say, you are metaphorically way too caffeinated for this hour after a uh, draft until 1 a.m. on the East Coast. I wasn't up to 1 a.m. You were. I was up to 1 a.m. on you Saturday. Were, you were on Saturday. That's true. Yes. And and I, I stress the metaphorically. I don't think you've ever been caffeinated in your entire life. But uh, <laughs> you have a lot of energy and I love it. <laughs> well, someone has to bring the energy. Um, we'll talk about those labor drafts. Very interesting stuff there. We built teams in very different ways. And what could be it for us there? Um, let's talk about the news of the weekend. Not a ton of news, but um, some signings since our last show. Um, Jake Odorizzi is now a member of the Houston Astros on a two, really a three-year deal because he has a player option, which he'll pick up probably, unless he becomes a Cy Young contender. Um, this comes in conjunction with the news that Framber Valdez is probably done for the season with a fractured finger that was suffered in the first spring training game. And they've also lost Forrest Whitley, the perennial prospect, who is probably needing another Tommy John surgery. So lots going on in the Houston rotation. I wrote about it in my blog entry today. And Tristan, let me ask you this. I ranked Odorizzi like right around number 200 overall, maybe the number 50, 55 starting pitcher. Has a good track record up until last season. ERA of 388, whip of 123, decent K rates over the past six full seasons. So I like him. Not an ace but, you know, a number three, number four starter for most fantasy teams. Do you agree with that? For the most part. I mean, you know, the only thing that really concerns me about Odorizzi signing this late is the recent history we've seen of pitchers that they've, you know, either not been at full form at the beginning of the year or they struggle for the majority of that season. So I, I, I'm kind of hesitant based on having moved him down in my ranks over the past couple of weeks. I think you're about right there. If, if we get one of the better case scenarios for Odorizzi, yeah, we, we'll probably be looking at uh, you know, a relevant enough guy. It's just more in the back end. For, for yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, I have his like number 55 starting pitcher, so you're not relying on him to carry your team, but he's okay. That, that's how I'm – you know, he's nothing special. Like I, I've had him in a couple teams over the years, Sim and Fantasy, and he's, he's fine. He's, he's decent. I think Framber Valdez was being a little bit overdrafted, actually. He was going only three rounds after Zach Greinke. You and I discussed Greinke at the um, First Pitch Florida conference uh, virtual this weekend, and I won the argument because that's what the fans said. And <laughs> it was Greinke versus Not Chris only that, Paddock. I think he- Oh, no, no, that's right. The other one was the one that was by a wide margin. I think that was somewhere in the range of 60 to 40 going for uh, Greinke. Yeah. <laughs> Greinke over Chris Paddock. And I think they're pretty even, but one's old and you hate old players. The other one was <laughs> Nelson Cruz and J.D. Martinez. I won that easily. Nelson Cruz, everybody knows that. Um, I, I, at, at some point, that, but that's okay. <laughs> no, at, at some point, we're going to devote 20 minutes to your hate of old people on a, on a future podcast, but that's not going to be today. You know um, what? As a quick line on that, the, the interesting part was that the Labor AL table said that uh, J.D. Martinez was the better player, 22 to $21, but both good prices. Anyway, off, back on track. I, you know what? <laughs> I know. 
I, I know I'm ultimately going to be wrong, but let me enjoy it today, okay? okay. Just let me enjoy it today. You crushed me. You did. I, I have to I have to admit that. You crushed me on that one. It was like 80 to 20 in the voting. <laughs> your your thoughts on Houston's rotation while we're discussing it right now. Okay, obviously no Verlander and obviously no Valdez. Granky, I like more than you do. That's fine. Let's leave it at that. McCullers, Jose Urquidy, Christian Javier. Where do they belong in a 10-team mix? I actually think there's a little overvaluing across the board for the Astros pitchers. I felt this way about uh, what what seemed like industry optimism or maybe ADP optimism for Valdez and Javier and Urquidy. And they're all good pitchers, probably all even traditional mixed league worthy. But I, I don't think there are guys who are going to win you your league or have a, a lot of profit potential for the prices you're paying, especially if you look at where they're going in the ADPs. I'm, I, I just I don't think they're they're elite types. I don't think that they're they're that type for for 2021. So I'm I'm a little bit hesitant. And they they do still have a depth issue. I mean, you know, they also had the news that Forrest Whitley, their top prospect, is going for Tommy John surgery, likely going for Tommy John surgery. So they could be out him. Valdez, as you said, could be out for the year. I, I mean, the report now is he's going to try not to have that happen. But even still, he's going to miss a significant amount of time. Um, Luis Garcia, I know you're very big on Luis Garcia and a lot of our much, much deeper leagues as kind of a dart throw. You know, there could be an opportunity for him or other players. The problem is that behind a player like Garcia, I don't see a lot of great upside options for them. I, I don't know. I, I think from, a, from an asterisk perspective, if I have to take a lean on that staff, I'm a no. I'm passing on the lot. Let's go to the Milwaukee Brewers outfield where Jackie Bradley is the new uh, center or right fielder, depending on where, where Lorenzo Cain plays. This could be bad news for Cain. It could be bad news for Abisail Garcia. And um, I kind of like Jackie Bradley. I got him in labor over the weekend and, and only. And if you look at his numbers in 2020, and again, we shouldn't overrate them, 283 average is much higher than we expect, but seven home runs, five steals. Maybe that's like a 20 home or 15 steel guy lurking. I mean, that would be interesting. And I got him cheap enough, so I thought it was worthwhile. Your thoughts on basically that threesome, Bradley, uh, Kane, who nobody seems to want. Lorenzo Kane is like in the 25th round of ADP, which is odd. And Avicel Garcia, assume Yelich plays every day. Yeah, and – you know, how much stock do you put into managerial comments where Craig Council said that he's putting Bradley in right field and Kane is playing center field? And then at the same time, my understanding is Kane has had a slow uh, start to being worked into the spring training mix. Um, if Bradley truly is the right fielder and they look at Kane as m- most often the center fielder, then, yeah, it's a Bradley, Avisel, Garcia platoon in right field, unfortunately. And that's going to be a problem for both of them. But I agree with you. I think Bradley is a guy who's a little bit underappreciated. Good enough defensively that that's going to drive playing time for him. He should get the stronger side of any platoon there. And the, the other thing is, it's you're right about the 20 and 15. At the end of the year, that's where he's going to get. The thing about Bradley is that he is notoriously streaky. And I mean, we're talking to the extremes. This is the kind of guy who's a little Adalberto Mondesi-esque where he can give you a month or two of effectively player of the month stats, and then he will be a train wreck for another one. So if you can exploit the right streaks, I think there's a lot of good value. And it's a, it's a very good ballpark for a guy who's got a hint of pop as he does. So now that we have a week of spring training results, is there anything you've noticed? Uh, again, I wrote about this in my column today, but I want to hear what you think. Anything with the stats, um, other injuries? I mean, like Adam Hazley doesn't really matter in, in fantasy that much. Um, Nate Pearson, you know, maybe he's not ready for opening day. That's an injury, I guess, to watch, although he was probably being overdrafted in the first place. Tommy Pham, man, that's a bad start. And 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 he can't really afford to 
get off to a good start because he, he's 0 for 10 with 6Ks, but he had offseason wrist surgery. He had a stab wound from an incident at a bar. Padres have depth. So if Tommy Pham has a bad spring, that's a situation where he could lose a starting job. Garrett Richards got lit again yesterday. He's off to a terrible start. He might, might not be in Boston's rotation. I think people are assuming he will be in there and he'll pitch well, but – you know, I don't assume that. And Matt, Madison Bumgarner, who nobody likes, but I'm starting to move him up my rankings. He threw 90 over the weekend. That's enough. You know, if he's going from 86 to 90, maybe he's fine again. So do you have any thoughts here that I either I did or did not mention? Yeah. So from a broad perspective, I am noticing that teams are being very conservative about working in the players who have injuries, as you had mentioned. And they are also going a little slower than I would expect at this time of year with the pitchers, which I think we also anticipated. But that does strengthen your argument about how we're going to have a hard time seeing a large number of pitchers qualify for the RA crown. We're certainly going to have a hard time seeing pitchers approach or exceed 200 innings pitch other than the true aces. From the individual standpoint, the Craig Kimbrell outing caught my eye. Yeah, That's not what you want to see after what we talked about it was a very encouraging, encouraging September. It's as if, and it's one spring outing, he gave it entirely back. So and we talked about this a little bit in the first pitch Florida panel about bullpens, about who in the Cubs bullpen could be worth looking at after Kimbrel, And do you need to look beyond him? Well, maybe you do need to look at him. And our answer was, we're not all that excited about it. Um, who, uh, 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 who's the other name I just had for you? Oh, yes. John Means. John Means was another guy who... The more I researched him, the more I was intrigued. Not a great first outing for him. Actually, I think he's had two starts now. In the first, one of them was okay, and the other one was really not so good. All right, Tristan's Nat AL only labor team is very interesting uh, and a far different construct than mine. Whereas I didn't spend more than like twenty six dollars on any players. Tristan, in the first five minutes, bought four players for at least that amount, um, and you can't really. I don't have a problem with those prices. It's just a very stars and scrubs like team. It's a little bit unlike what you've done in the past. Trout and Eloy Jimenez, fine. Alex Bregman at $30. I think that's a decent price. Jose Breo, 29 So you got good prices here. Did you go into this auction thinking, I'm going to buy these guys? Or was it just like where well, the price stops there, you have to buy them? I had no idea who I was going to buy, but I knew I was going to spend heavily on the hitting side. Um, I decided, why not? Why not hedge on this idea that the ball does uh, kind of shift a little bit more towards pitchers and that I could get guys on the cheap. Because what struck me about the American League AL only types here is that I liked a lot of the pitchers in the single digits price-wise. I saw some upside plays, some some guys who would have a, a good amount of potential profit, and I wanted to go cheap. So the strange thing here, I, I don't think I've ever spent this much, but 208 of $260 on my offense, I knew it was going to do it. And I knew that the attempt was to build up my homers, runs, and RBI, and then attempt to flip one of those players who was 25-plus to get the needs I had later on. I'm going to figure out what the problem with the roster is later. In a weird year, why not say, you know what? What the heck? I'm going to find a weak spot on my roster, and I'm going to use what I know is excess on draft day to try to get some stuff later on. And I like I like what you did. I mean, you spent more on offense than I did. I've done that in the past where I spent more than $200 on offense out of 260 Let's talk player-specific now because we know a lot of people listening are not nail only. They might be in deep mix or shallow mix or whatever. Um, Lourdes Gurriel was $21. Um, I like that. You expect that he's going to play regularly in Toronto's outfield. And is this a 30-home run guy for you? 
Yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with how they're going to make the at-bats work, but they also have the DH spot as well. So I think there's a good chance that everyone in that outfield could get near starters at-bats. The the only real personal criticism I have of the Gurriel pick is I, I admit I was mad at myself for screwing up in the auction room. And you have to people have to understand that it was it was an online uh, salary cap draft, we're calling it, uh, for, for this year. And Teoscar Hernandez was out there for $19. I'll tell you, I definitely like Hernandez better than Guriel for this and for the, the construct of my team. He was $19. I, I was there tr- just about to press the $20 thing, hit the button, and it was too late. And, you know, I'm not going to quibble over that. Guriel, I think, is a, a, a comparably good player, but for $21, I would have loved to have the two, the two or even the $1 back. Yeah, I did that on a couple starting pitchers where they just stopped, like Corbin Burns stopped at 14. And I'm like, why did I not go to 15? And then I'm spending more for a lesser pitcher. I don't know why I did it. But, you know, it's all about the timing when you're in an auction. This is not a draft. Um, everybody's talking about this guy because he hit a home run the other day. Joe Adele of the Angels. You you got him for $3. Is this 500 plate appearances? Is it 200? And are you confident that he will produce numbers when he does play? So I'm I for anybody who's in the league who's listening, I... I think it's 200 and I think it might be less than that. And it's simply my saying, I know the rules of this league. I can put Adele on my bench. I can figure it out in the first fab run, or I could just throw Jay Bruce in there if he makes the Yankees roster and carves out a part-time role for them. But I can put another outfielder in there. I mean, Hey, Willie Calhoun might qualify shift off of DH. Um, It was more a matter of, I need to take some upside shots. Adele has that combination of power and speed, and I needed just a little bit of speed. If somehow he started off great in the minors, gets the call, hey, maybe it pays off. Yeah, like I, I think your Joe Adele is similar to my Jazz Chisholm for $3 where I didn't really want him, but I thought, okay, th- maybe there's some upside here. If he comes up in midseason, it does something, and I ha- have guys on my bench that I can move in for him. Um, on the pitching side, the only guy you spent double digits on is a Yankee, Corey Kluber. And I can't necessarily say that $16 is a bad price for him. I'm looking at the other prices around. Like Aaron Savali is 13 Chris Bassett's 15 I would prefer them over Kluber. But perhaps you would not. What do you see here? Do you see health and durability, big strikeout totals, or do you admit that maybe that was a little expensive? I, I definitely would not take either of those two players. I like Corey Kluber. I mean, I, you know, when I say definitively, I mean the price really is about the range. I would say the difference between the two, but I I do like him better than that. But I didn't I, I didn't feel great about it. I there was a little bit of price enforcing going uh, going on. I was going up against Ian Khan, who I know is also very big into his Yankees research. Um, starting pitching prices in the, in the, let's say the, the, the 10 to $30 tier in the AL were more aggressive than they were in the NL. So you couldn't really sit back and take bargains. So my take on Corey Kluber was what if he gives you the 25 starts and he's 90% of the former self, then I'm going to get the strikeouts and the high level production that I need. And he's also in a winning team. So he could fuel some of those wins. But in retrospect, I might've liked somebody like Jesus Lazardo, who I think was exactly the same price. I might've wanted to go a little cheaper, take two guys who were in the Michael Pineda for $9 range. I, I wasn't sure which way I wanted to go, but I did want, uh, by the way, I really wanted Jose Barrios here and Jose Barrios went for $25, which was three over where I had him. Yeah, that that's that's a little pricey. I, I um I think my thing with Kluber might be this. I I wanted to play it safer with durability in in the auction. And most of the drafts I've done so far, no matter what format they are, I am not taking chances with guys with extensive injury histories. I am 
taking players that I think, even if their performance won't be as good, they will be at least durable. And, and again, you can nitpick certain players I got on the NL team and say, well, that guy ain't healthy. And that might be true. It's just in a general sense, I'm trying to like who I would rather have Patrick Corbin than Corey Kluber. I think they were about the same price um, because at least I, I think Corbin's going to pitch 175 innings. I feel certain of that. Um, and while there might not be the inherent upside of Kluber, well, there might be some upside left. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, that's what I mean by that. Like, I don't know if I would have gone above, like, say, 13 on Kluber. The rest of your pitching, like, I do like some of your uh, more there's, expensive there's, players. I've got I've to throw you the thought on that one for Corbin. I agree with you that from a general perspective, I'm with you that Corbin should be taken first. I, but in labor, the wrinkle here, and it was part of the strategy, is the way in which you can activate and bench players in this league. Yeah. And I did go into, the, into this consciously saying, I want to be able to create opportunity on the roster. That if Kluber's going to give me peak performance and in the games he's absent, I can freely replace him with matchups guys from the bench. That's the direction that I wanted to go. And you can't do that in Corbin's case. Corbin will be in for you. And if he stinks, it's going to ruin you. That was part of the strategy. Fair enough. Um, you seem to like Taylor Rogers getting saves in Minnesota, huh? Nine dollars. I just like him. Okay. That was actually the price for for guys who were secondary closers. I actually think they could give twenty saves for each column A and Rogers. I think there's there's a path to that. So whereas Tristan went stars and scrubs, I was a very balanced roster here. I'll let you describe what you saw. Um, no dollar guys. Um, you know, maybe not a good team. You know, that's personally certainly possible. Uh, maybe not enough uh, strikeouts. Maybe not enough batting average. Obviously, half the Marlins lineup is a bad start. But, um, you know, I wanted to make sure I got stolen bases early so I didn't have to overbid on guys like Jonathan Villar and John Birdie. And I did. Sarli Marte and Trent Grisham, $51, 51 stolen bases. I don't have any bad hitters. You know, I, I think that's a good thing. Like if everybody kind of contributes, I think that's a good enough offense. But um, you're the guy who's won this league before. So you tell me what you think. I think I think that's a fair assessment. There aren't bad hitters on this team. The concern that I had looking at this one and my only perspective watching this as it happened in real time was I wondered whether you were willing to dive in a little bit sooner on one or two players that you really liked. Like if there was a, a guy who was ahead of these this group in the 30. 30 to 32 dollar range even who is kind of a leading man whether you would feel differently now because i feel like you did well in the back end here trying to get guys to fill the different spots but i i think you might have wanted to take a little a couple bucks off brian anderson or nick ahmed or as you said chisholm you you don't feel great about jesse winker at 16 dollars. these are all good players but i wonder whether there's the built-in profit potential normally people would call this quote the boring roster what I would call it as, do you have guys who are going to meet their projection? They don't have a very wide range in either direction, and it's not enough to get over the top. In other words, like, is it is it a second or third place team? You could manage it into first place right off the bat, but I, I wonder that. The pitching side was the one yeah. I really wanted to get into with you. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. As you'd said, I actually don't have a big issue with the prices here, but if you're going to go with no elite Cy Young candidate guy on the closer side, you got three interesting names in Giovanni Gallegos, Mark Melanson, Lucas Sims. You could get zero saves or you could get 75 saves or more from this team. You just don't know. Do you feel uncomfortable about that? No, I feel good about it. I I feel one of them is getting 25 saves and I think it's Melanson. I was outbid on Archie Bradley, who I'm Sure, Philadelphia's closer. We should probably name our teams here in case people aren't able to look them up. So let's just go through it. We don't have to go through each player 
in depth, but Tristan's catchers are Tom Murphy and Kurt Suzuki. Same, same thing I did essentially. Um, if yours are Murphy and Suzuki for a total of eight, I spent a total of a, a 13 on Carson Kelly and Yadier Molina. These aren't top guys, but these are guys who are going to play. Um, the rest of your roster, Jose Abreu, Shed Long, who could be something, Laurie Garcia, That's Alex the, That Bregman. was the one spot I wasn't feeling comfortable at was the, the Shed Long and Laurie Garcia portion. Bregman at third, Brandon Lau at the middle, Michael Chavis for only two. That's great at corner. An outfield of Trout, Eloy, Lourdes, Leody Tavares, who should steal 25 bases, Joe Adele uh, with Jay Bruce waiting to play on the bench, and Willie Calhoun uh, uh, pitching Corey Kluber, Sean Manaya, uh, Taylor Rogers, Cal Quantrill, who I like, Dan Dane Dunning, who I like, Logan Gilbert, the minor leaguer for Seattle, should be up. Jay Happ, I love three hours there. Michael Waka, JB Wendelkin, Garrett Crochet's on your bench. Steven Mass should stay on your bench. Isaac Paredes probably is going to start for Detroit. Clark Schmidt, Ross Stripling. I like it. Um, my team, after the catchers, um, not a lot of high ceilings, but uh, pretty high floors. Like Colin Moran's my first baseman. He's hitting 20 home runs for $12. That's fine. Colin Moran, Donovan Solano at second, Dansby Swanson at short, Brian Anderson at third, uh, Jesus Aguiar at corner, Nick Ahmed at middle, outfield of Starling Marte, Trent Grisham, Jackie Bradley Jr., Marcelo Zuna, whose price just kind of stopped. I wouldn't have gone higher than 26. I thought it was going to 30. I love that price. Jesse Winker at 16. Jazz Chisholm at utility. He'll be replaced uh, by my bench guys. Dustin Fowler, Pittsburgh, who I think is making that team. And Jake Lamb, who probably will make his team. Pitching Sonny Gray, Patrick Corbin. Marcus Stroman did not like Marcus Stroman. I don't know why I did it. Caleb Smith, Zach Davies, Gallegos, Melanson, Lucas Sims. I love Adam Wainwright at a dollar. And then oh, on my bench, uh, Jason Adam, who could get some Cubs saves, Tyler Anderson and Matt Moore, Philly, who I can move in at my whim. I like that. I like Moore. I too. Yeah, he looks good so far. And Brent Suter, who makes me laugh. I, I, I think it's fine. I think it's, like you said, it's the, my typical second, third place team that never wins. You have upside to win. I, I also have considerably more holes. The danger and the downside yes. for me is is quite a bit steeper than it is for you. So it's two very, very different con- uh, contrasts in, in, in strategies here. Do you feel there was – give me one or two guys that you felt that you, you kind of regret that you wish you could have had back and, and that there was another player you want. Was there a moment like that, like the Teoscar Hernandez uh, situation I mentioned? Yeah, I mean, uh, what the same guy got Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler for $14, and then I ended up going to 14 for Corbin, which doesn't match. I was and then I had to get Sonny Gray because I – look, I was not spending $20 on any pitchers, closer or starter. I was not spending $30 on any hitters. I went in saying I want a balanced team of middle-class tier players, and I did exactly what I wanted. All right. Well, there were a couple starting pitchers that went for good prices. And I thought, man, I should have gone the extra dollar. That doesn't necessarily mean, Tristan, that I would have gotten them for that price. The, the, the other guy might have kept going. But Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler for $14. Sixto Sanchez at 11 Um, I was like, Pablo Lopez and Julio Urias were both 12 And I didn't get any of them. And I thought, I'll get cheaper pitching. And then I went to 14 for Patrick Corbin, which doesn't make sense. But I do like him. Marcus Stroman at 11, I wish that was two pitchers and a little money left over for another hitter, an upgrade there. I got outbid on so many guys from my utility hitter slot because people left money on their table. They ended up spending it. But like, I thought Astrubal Cabrera I'd get for three or four. He went for seven. I thought I'd get Scott Kingery for nothing. He went for 11. I thought I'd get, um, who was it? I mean, Steve outbid me on Carter Keeboom like he was the next, you know, Josh Donaldson. Brendan Rodgers went for $13. 
I was like, all right, I'll spend like four or five. He went for 13. Uh, so, you know, yeah. everybody likes the like, players that they like. That's how I got stuck with Chisholm. And, and we should say, Jazz Chisholm might be okay. Might be a 15 homer, 15 steel guy who bats 180. I don't know what he is. Um, but look, overall, each one of these drafts and auctions that I do, no matter what format they are, whether it's a, a deeper NFBC format or whether it's an auction like this or whether it's even an ESPN mock draft, which we've done a, a one of and we have another one coming up on Tuesday, I think every Tuesday in March. I learn a little bit more about myself and my strategy likes uh, about players that I like and don't list. Like that's why when I, I move my rankings around like I just did this morning, it's because I learn more about certain players and I thought, OK. You know, maybe I'm wrong about Trevor Bauer being in my top 15. So I moved him out. Or maybe I'm wrong about limiting Josh Bell or Dylan Carlson. So I moved them up a little bit today. Um, they didn't do anything in spring training to warrant that. It's just they, they changed my mind. Or I changed my mind based on more information. We can't have all the information in the world. So I, I at all times. But I just think that my strategy on Saturday was a lot different than yours on Sunday. Neither one of us is wrong. Hopefully we can both contend and win. You've won it before. I finished second half the time. It would be interesting to see how these teams do based on the different ways we constructed them. You also have to keep in mind that we've just had spring training games start. So now rankings and news are going to shift quite a bit. We also are coming off a conference where we had some of the best minds in the industry giving us additional information about players we might not have thought about before. I actually find that this weekend where we do the labor drafts, is one of the best times for me to start thinking deeply about the players outside the top 250 overall. So you're right. I think this is a good time for, you know, to have a little fluidity in your ranks. Absolutely. I mean, great thanks to Brent Hershey, Ray Murphy, and and the whole cast and crew Absolutely. at Baseball HQ who do a great job uh, lining up a lot of analysts in the industry. We were a part of that. We were lucky to be invited to, to be a part of that as well. And um, lots of great panels. So the next time you see that Baseball HQ is doing a first pitch Florida or Arizona or whatever it is, or just online stuff, you should get involved because they they, they have a lot of great information there. A lot of people talking uh, in the industry. And I learned a lot of stuff about pitchers. You know, I don't study pitchers the way some other analysts do. I go more on gut, and that's probably wrong. But I learned a lot about certain pitchers and their spin rates and what they're doing. And also, I, I learned a little bit about, like, if if Michael Kopech's in Chicago's bullpen, then I, I don't want him. <laughs> you know, he's not going <laughs> to help my fantasy team. Or that's if Garrett Crochet. Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> not going to happen, you know. So, yeah. But – you know, then there were exit velocity stuff that I learned. Like, again, we can't know everybody's exit velocity or everybody's spin rate. But, you know, I am I feel more comfortable with proven players. I'm okay with Zach Davies, whereas you're spending three times as much on Corey Kluber. It's a different strategy, and I think it could work for both of us. And that's why, you know, it's pretty similar to what I do every year in this draft. And like I said, contending might be enough for me. I'd like to win, but let's move on now. So we talked about that. Um, the first mock draft at ESPN was last Tuesday, and uh, there'll be an, and that's posted. There'll be another one posted very soon because we haven't done it yet. But um, you picked second overall. Um, you got Acuna, who went. Oh, I, did I pick first in that one? I don't remember. Darvish in round two. Um, you took aces in round two and three, Darvish and Bueller. Is that something you think you're going to continue doing is taking two of your three picks as pitchers or, or are you letting the see how the draft board falls? I'm, I'm going to let the draft board tell me where I'm going. But I will say that having done that in this draft, I felt really good about it. I, I felt like because you, you remember, I'll do that whole uh, modified Labadini plan, which is the Labadini plan for people unfamiliar. That's where in a 
a salary cap league, you take nine $1 pitchers. So you spend nine of your $260 on pitchers. So the draft format of it was take your ace. It was used to be Clayton Kershaw in the first round. And then all of the rest of your pitchers are the final picks in your draft. In this one, I can make you the case that you take the two pitchers with two of your first three picks and then go the cheap route among pitchers. I felt pretty good about that. Somebody in one of my leagues emailed me and said, are you going to take Lance Lynn in every single draft? And I said, maybe, because I, well, I, I apparently like him more than everybody else. I should probably, in a mock, I should probably try something new and see if I like it. See if I like it. Like maybe in in, in tomorrow's mock, I'll take Hader or, um, you know, Hendricks, you know, not Kyle, the uh, the closer one, and see if I like the construct of my team that way. Because, you know, I mean, I got to try some different things. Um, what else did you do? Oh, you actually did take Nelson Cruz in this mock. Or no, I did. I took no, I took Nelson I Cruz. I'm looking I at took it. another guy that we talk about very often on this. Why? Wow, how could you take Monesty over not only Starling Marte, but Whit Merrifield, Lewis Robert? I would take him way behind all three of those guys. What do you is that just because you were screwing around or what? No, it just it kind of felt right based on where the shortstop market was and saying, you know what, why not do a draft where I address my steals early and I don't have to go picking for those. This was very much the anti-draft for my basic, you know, broad strategy for 2021. I'm trying to find the, you know, stolen base bargains late after I get my, my base and I'm trying to avoid Mondesi. I'm trying to make two or three of my first four picks be steals oriented multi-category players. And in this one, I said, what the heck? Why not? Why not do the Mondesi pick and see what happens? So Tuesday's going to points league draft. That's going to look very different. I mean, we're going to draft in a different style because a points league is not like a roto league. So we'll see what that happens. And then we have a net, our next show is Thursday. So we'll probably talk about the mock, the points mock um, on that show. Let's bring in Kyle now. He's got some trivia. All right. So today's trivia is a little bit different. I don't want to include 2020 at all. Forget 2020. From 2017, I know, Tristan, I see that look on your face. It happened. 2020 did happen. Those numbers still count. But we all wish trivia, it didn't. We all kind of wish it didn't in some ways. <laughs> for this trivia question, they do not count. From 2017 to 2019, four players had at least 20 doubles, 20 homers, and 15 steals in all three seasons. Three of those players are going in the top two rounds of drafts this year. Who is the fourth player? 20 doubles, 20 homers, 15 steals. Okay. Yep. I think, we'll we, mentioned, I think we mentioned him and I wrote about him today. Oh, no. I'm going to say with confidence you did not mention him. That really? usually happens though. Yeah. Okay. So it's not Tommy Pham. It's not Tommy Pham. He was the answer to last week. I know. I'm not but double that. I know he's still on 15 bases every year. All right. Let me. Might have been the doubles. I don't know. I'll take a look at it in a minute. I don't know. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. Um, Before right. we get. To that answer, RJ's got a question. He wants to know what sort of upside Ty France has in redraft leagues. Yeah, he's a guy, look, off to a good spring start. I don't even know what that means anymore. But um, he's a hitter. He's a hitter, and he's a right-handed hitter who hits everybody. Hits lefties, hits righties. I think he's going to play. Isn't he the everyday second baseman for Seattle? Like, he should play every day. He should hit. Dylan Moore, right? uh, Oh, Dylan Moore's there. They're going to find a place for France to play much more often than not, if not every day. Dylan Moore is not nearly as good as, as his numbers looked in the shortened season. You're right, Dylan. So France might be the DH, but Dylan Moore can also play outfield, I guess. They're going to uh, mix and match a lot, yeah. But like to me, I, I see France as like a middle-of-the-order bat. So I guess it depends on the health of others. But like Dylan Moore can steal bases, so you would obviously take Dylan Moore over Ty France. But I think Ty France is, a, is a bet, obviously a better slugger. I think Ty France could hit 270 with like 20 home runs. 
that's my kind of player based on my labor team I just built. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of like those projected numbers. I think that, you know, they'll find a way for him to play regularly. You know, he, he's got upside in both batting average and home runs, which is unusual these days. Kind of like the player. And we did this little exercise in the, the whole first pitch Florida where we were picking players who had outside the top 380 P's. Francis in that group. I took him because, you know, I kind of like him. I'm surprised that he's lasting that long. Yeah, I am too. He's definitely somebody, if I was in that draft, I would have mentioned him as well. All righty, next question comes from Kevin. Ten-team, head-to-head categories. You can pick one of these four guys as his fourth keeper, or one of these three guys, I'm sorry, as his fourth keeper. Marte, Merrifield, or J.D. Martinez? Well, I know my pick. <laughs> I mean, I know your pick too. Do you agree? I mean, like, you have – well uh, – it matters which Marte it is. I mean, if it's Starling, you have to keep him. Starling. If it's Kettle, you, I still would keep him over J.D. Martinez. I love Witt. Um, you know, somebody brought up to me recently, you know, Whit Merrifield's already 30 years old, and, and it's rare that somebody of that age continues to steal bases, or 33, continues to steal this many bases. So, you know, he said Whit might not even steal 20 bases, and I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, that could be right. But he, he ran last season. Like, you're just expecting him to fall off the cliff now? J.D. Martinez fell off the cliff last year. I think he'll bounce back. But he's also older than these guys, other guys, and he can't play the field. So to me, I would not keep J.D. Martinez. And I, w- I would keep Marte, Starlin Marte first. I'd agree. And, and it does matter which Marte it is. I'm going to assume it is Starlin, and I agree. Oh, with I thought you could keep two of them. Yes, if you're only picking one, it's definitely Starlin Marte. Yeah, it's keep one. So, I mean, I, I would – it's Marte and Merrifield for me kind of noticeably over Martinez if it was two players anyway. And it's probably – it's Merrifield definitely over Cattell Marte if that's – choice okay that'll work cisco wants to know who the better value is this draft season kyle lewis or luis robert well the better value is not robert he's going very early the better value would be lewis the problem is if we don't think lewis is going to do something like that again and he was a little streaky just like robert was then a better value doesn't mean much but if you're getting kyle lewis 100 spots after lewis robert and you probably are he's clearly the better value they could put up the same numbers yeah i'm not I'm wondering whether he is going that much later. That's I agree with you from the value perspective. You're right that if he's going that far after, then I think Lewis is kind of getting an unfair shake right now. But because at least in our user base, people do more often chase last year's stats. I think there is a, a danger that Kyle Lewis is overdrafted. He's 143 overall in ESPN ADP. So, yeah, to, to your point, I thought he was going to go about 100. 100th overall in ESPN, in which case I'm passing on Lewis and taking Robert. Okay. All right. Similar question here to the one before. John wants you to help him pick a keeper. 10-team Roto, Blackman, Kershaw, Rizzo. Well, I I mean, unless you have another starting pitcher already kept, I would keep Kershaw here because I don't think Blackman's going in the right direction. Doesn't steal bases, could be out of course. Rizzo is just a first baseman and comes off a terrible season. A, a 25-85-275 first baseman, which is fine. Maybe that's his floor and not his likelihood, but I would keep Kershaw here. Yeah, I mean, the the context of the team definitely matters here. If you already are rich in pitching, I might go and go to Blackman. Blackman is boringly good. That's that's what he is. He's He's just all right, but... Kershaw's probably the smarter keeper. I'm starting to get concerned about Colorado. 
not necessarily. I, I Trevor's story was too expensive for me on Saturday. Everybody was over thirty, but thirty dollars. But like, I, what if this is the year like things really fall apart for that franchise? I, it was a bad off season. What and, if? Well, what if? Well, I mean, Blackman hasn't fallen apart yet. Story hasn't fallen apart yet. We don't assume that McMahon is done. I think people are overdrafting CJ Crone, assuming. Um, you know, people are assuming Garrett Hampson is safe again or Sam Hilliard, who I wrote about today. Like things could really fall apart worse than they are now for some of their individual players offensively, because I'm not even considering their pitchers. And I mean, this could be like Blackman worries me a little bit. Like if, if Blackman is playing the outfield for Oakland in July, you know, his numbers aren't going to be what we expect. That's that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, I, I agree. The Rockies might well be a hundred loss team and they might do it pretty easily. And then the thing I think of is what if this is a team that ends up engaging in a lot of high scoring slugfests and there's a fatigue factor where the team is hooking players from games earlier just because the games are very long and drawn out. You know, a lot of 12 to nine opponent victories. Not a huge factor, but I, I just wonder. Yeah. Those would be fantasy friendly games at the very least. Two more questions here. Bill, better breakout pick this year, Kepler or Yaz? I think they've both broken out already, haven't they? I mean, Max Kepler's already probably had his best season. He might be a platoon guy, doesn't steal bases, but he's fine. He's, he is what he is. Um, Yaz, is Yaz going to get bet? Yastrzemski of San Francisco going to get any better than we've already seen? I, I find that a little bit hard to believe that he can do more than this. But in terms of breaking out, I mean, a breakout guy is somebody who hasn't already had like his 20, 25 home run season to me. They've already done that. Can they break out more than this? I'm going to say no on both. But who would I rather have? I probably have Yaz ranked now above Kepler based on batting average and similar power stats. But I don't know for sure. Yeah, the breakout part's tough because I think, you know, which one's going to exceed their ADP right now by a good 50 spots. I don't think either one's going to do that. I'd, I'd probably agree with you that it's going to be Yaz. Yaz made some of the most substantial, and I wrote about this, uh, improvements in terms of his patience and his plate discipline. A great combination overall that was uh, kind of remarkable. It was not something I saw coming in, into his profile. And in Kepler's case, he's one of the ones who – it's not like uh, the Dominic Brown argument, Eric, that you always have. <laughs> but his, his power grades were noticeably overrated. He was getting some real benefit that he shouldn't have in that particular category, and I think there's going to be some regression. There's 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 a popular discussion now about players with a new baseball who barely had power last year, or bar- their home runs barely made it over the fence. And Kevin Biggio is like the poster boy for this argument. Kepler is one of those players as well. Yep. But I don't I don't like doing that guesswork. We know John Carlos Stanton can hit hit a heavy baseball 500 feet, and Biggio cannot. I just, you know, I don't like doing that sort of thing where we assume that Biggio is affected most by the new baseball because he doesn't hit 450-foot home runs. I don't, I don't like doing that. He could continue to hit 398-foot home runs. You know what? For a little fun in it, I'm going to bring back a geeky stat of the day, boy. You might, <laughs> Goodness. you might like this one. So if you take the StatCast expected home runs that he had in 2019, we'll take the past full season, on the high-end range, he had a 43-homer projection at Yankee Stadium, and his low end was 21 at Kauffman Stadium. Right there, that tells you. A 22-homer wide range on the high to low end suggests he's been very fortunate based on the ball barely scratching the fence. So you're on board with that, that, that narrative? With him, I am, yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of... A lot of variance in his homer totals. Okay. 
Fair last enough. Here comes last one comes from Jared. He wants to know if you're worried about the minor league season being delayed. Do you already know that it is? If you have to wait longer to see prospects and if they are no longer value in redraft leagues. I'm fading uh, prospect pitchers for this season. I don't know if they're coming up anytime soon, and I don't know how they will be used, like we've seen with Kopech and Crochet in Chicago. Mackenzie Gore, I had a shot to get him on Saturday. I passed. I don't know if he even gets 50 innings in the majors this year. Pearson's different. They want him in the rotation. But in a general sense, with prospects, nobody's coming up in the first two weeks. It's the last year of the CBA. It might not even be baseball next year. But this is the last. So, like, I think Cal Nick of Seattle is coming up in late April, assuming he's healthy, which he is not right now. I think Joe Adele comes up when there's an opening and when he's hitting well in AAA. I think it's different for pitchers. Tristan, agree with that? Yeah, and and I think in Kelnick's case, even without a minor league season, he's going to get called up once he meets the, the service time threshold to buy another year of team control. I think that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the season is. But for other players, I do think it's going to matter. So Adele, who we raised on my labor team, that was one of the things I was thinking about when I had him up there at a dollar sum go to two, and I was really struggling about whether to go to three, is that this could really ruin situations for players like him and Joey Bart. And if somehow Casey Mize or Tariq Skubal went back down to the minors, that teams could use that to say they need competitive time. And because it's later in the year that we are waiting a lot longer than usual. It's a very fair point. Good question. All right. That'll do it for questions. Now my question for you guys, trivia. Since they're from 2017 to 2019, there were four players with 20 doubles, 20 homers and 15 steals in all three seasons. Three are going in the top Two rounds of drafts this year. Who is the fourth? And Eric's guess of Tommy Pham was two doubles shy in 2018. So he is not the right answer. Wow. Hmm. All right. Well, second place again. Tristan, what say you on this one? You got. I'm trying to think of guys who. How many well, players? Have even, that's the thing. How many players have even stolen 15 bases every year? You know, like with any power whatsoever. I'm trying to think. Only 10 players have done it even twice over that stretch, but I need the guy that's done it three times. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just pull up my name of just my player name list. I'm looking at the rankings and nobody jumps to mind. Here's a hint. Yeah. The rankings aren't going to help you. Probably Puig. Definitely Puig. Oh, really? <laughs> Yasiel Puig. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Seriously? Yasiel Puig is the right answer. Him, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and Mookie Betts. That's a great question. Puig came up multiple times over the weekend, Eric. Your thoughts on Puig? We got to. Yeah, my thought is he's not finding a job in Major League Baseball. Nobody wants him. He's trouble. And and look, that's not fair, okay? But he would have been signed by now. Either he's asking for too much money or people don't want to go through the trouble that it is rostering him. And look, teams are making all kinds of decisions when it comes to this. I mean, look no further than the Philly center field situation where I do not want to discuss it right now. It makes me angry. But with Puig, if somebody needed an outfielder or a right fielder, they would have signed him by now, and they haven't done it. And I think there's a reason for that. I don't well, want to get too far into it. I, I'm going to say something here on that, that, you know, he, he's burned me a lot of my teams in the past. So, you know, I'm hesitant to draft him, but you know, having tested positive at exactly the wrong time last year, it was a bad break. 
I, I actually am a little surprised that he hasn't latched on with somebody. There are teams that are in need, and I, I think we might well see him somewhere contributing. Nobody wants to spend the money. I get that. I get that. But somebody's going to have a need late. In he's he's not signing a minor league deal. He sign. He wants three years and forty million or something like that. I'm sure. Now maybe he'll end up signing. He's going to have to take a one year prove it deal. But I think it'll be a major league deal Look, with a team that has an injury. That comes. They announce a DH tomorrow. This could all change. Okay, Atlanta could sign him in two seconds or anybody. They're not going to do that. But I see your point. Yeah. You know, well, because Azuna, they would move him there, but they liked him last year. So. I mean. They're not going to have the DH. My point is this. I'm not drafting Puig anymore. If Are you still t- t- keeping a spot for him in a mixed no. league? Oh, absolutely not. But, I but mean, why? Because, I mean, as Kyle pointed out, this is a guy who puts up numbers. He's been on three teams the last two full seasons, and he hit 267 with power and with speed. He he delivers numbers. Not elite numbers, but pretty good numbers. He is another guy who is wildly streaky, and I think there are better routes to go in a mixed league. But he was on the list I had for Labor AL. He should have been on your list for Labor NL to fill up the back-end spot. Certainly, it's worth taking the chance. Fair enough. Um, Shout-out, by the way, to Randall Kimbrough and his father-in-law, who say they listen listen to us religiously on Fantasy Baseball. Thank you so much. We do appreciate that. Um, We will be back on Thursday. We have our Points League mock draft on Tuesday. We'll continue to look ahead to the games that count between now and then. Make sure to check out Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast as they, too, are preparing for what promises to be a fun season. And uh, it's a great podcast. Uh, Hopefully, we're doing okay as well. Tristan, any final thoughts today? Enjoy the baseball and the slowly warming temperatures. I can't wait for the snow to go outside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watch watch the games. Don't look at the stats so much, but watch the games and see what you see. You know, I mean, see, like, like I didn't get to see Tommy Pham over the weekend, but if I did, I probably would have said, like, Gary Richards, that outing yesterday, that's bad. Anyway, that's all for now. Thank you for listening to Focus, Fantasy Focus Baseball, and we'll talk to you all on Thursday. Have an awesome week.